0: Church is a community and movement, a fellowship of discovery. We desire to love well and serve often, while together we explore the adventurous love story of Jesus. Well, good morning. Welcome to the aftermath. (laughs) December 26th, 2021, the last Sunday of 2021. Is that relief, I hear, or is it like, ooh, yeah, that was a great year. Anybody anybody in the category of, oh, this was a great year, it's going down in history? Okay, I didn't think so. Anybody relieved this year's over? Yes, I hear a yes. Anybody just like, eh, whatever, just, just another COVID nightmare, yep, okay. Well, we're... We, we create artificial events out of calendar events sometimes and Christmas is not artificial but December 26th, other than it being Seth's birthday, um, yes, yes um, it has a tendency to kind of just slip by as uh, the aftermath of Christmas. And, and so I want to take you on a little bit of a journey this morning. Yes, I, I meant that. Um, and, and that journey is down this path of is I just I need you to close your eyes for a minute just for just a second just humor me all of you please I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand or pray or none of that stuff I'm gonna just ask you to imagine in your mind something so beautiful that you've seen in your life that you can't describe with words that it is just so hard to put words to it that you can't quite come up with the right words In your mind. Okay, now that you got that in your mind, um, I'm going to show you a couple pictures of places that I've been, and the first is Mount Rainier. Um, I don't know how to describe that unless you've been there and you've stood at the foot of that mountain and you get a feel for just the majesty of it. But a picture of it, you know, you kind of go, "Oh, that's nice," you know, and that's about it. And then a picture by the ocean. That's the West Coast, that's the Pacific. I think it's in Oregon or California, I don't know. But how do you describe that? It's just pretty, but it's more than that. And it, it looks fake, kind of, in a picture. And then the last one is a picture of the Redwoods. My wife is in the picture there and she's all of five foot four. I don't even know how to describe that to you. But think in terms of beauty, think in terms of, of how to describe that and how you put that into words, but it's easier, like I can show you a picture like I just did, pictures are easier than words. but the Bible is written in words. There's no pictures from 2000 or 2000 years ago, right? We had no pictures of the manger scene. All right, Joseph, you get around back there with the shepherds and we're gonna get a camel move back and we're gonna take a picture. We don't get that snapshot, so it's described with words in great detail. But if you could kind of imagine the Bible as just being a series of snapshots, pictures per se, of moments in the life of people and as God engages with those people. And and oftentimes what we do is we, we latch on to some of those moments and we start to create in our minds this picture of who God is. And I think that's the way the Bible is written, is by design to give us snapshots and pictures of God, I want to put that redwood picture back up for just a second. The redwood in this picture is huge it the little sign says there that it's over three hundred feet tall, and you're getting maybe okay there's five feet of it, <laughs> seven feet of it, but the picture it's it's called the founder. anybody been there besides me? Uh, oh good, so maybe. Um, This picture doesn't do it justice, does it, if you've been there? Say no, please say no. Yeah, thank you. Um, But what I'm trying to invite you into this morning is this idea is you can't see the whole thing, but you can imagine the rest. You can imagine the rest of that tree. If you stood underneath it, you still can't see the top of it because the canopy and everything else. You just can't see it all and it doesn't matter how many pictures you take of it it doesn't do it justice it's a struggle to define something that is bigger than us with just a picture and some words it is I don't know if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon anybody been to the Grand Canyon yeah okay there I'm, I'm I sure brought those pictures but you but you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon And you kind of go, wow, that's a big hole in the ground. And you take a picture of it, and it's like, how do you describe that? Yet, we try. And yet, there is these moments that we stare at them, and we try to come up with them, and they are beautiful beyond description, and there's words that we can't quite attach. And I would argue this morning that that's how we experience God. And so this morning I want to take you on this little journey. And I want to start in verse in Colossians chapter one, verse 15. And it says this it says, The Son, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then quickly after that, I want to jump to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. These are similar verses. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. We believe Jesus was God incarnate, and that's why we celebrate Christmas, is that God arrived on the scene. And then the Bible now tells us that if you want to know what God is and who God is, is that you stare at Jesus, you stare at Jesus, and you begin to see the exact representation of who God is. And so the richer and the fuller understanding of who God is is not necessarily defined by words, but the word incarnate, which was Jesus, which is Jesus. And so it it really leans into us as followers of Christ to ask the question, how do I get to see Jesus in his fullness and and not just in these pockets in which we, we formulate ideas of who God is, but we actually lean into the idea that there's this rich, full understanding of who God is if I just stare at Jesus. At the end of the Gospel of John, John writes in 21-25, he says this, and I love this phrase, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. This is the end of John's Gospel. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Context, right? So we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark's not real long. But what we get is these moments in Jesus's life, and some of them are duplicates. You're like, C- couldn't you guys have picked different ones? Because what you get is this, this slices of Jesus's life, and a lot of it, a lot of what is written about Christ is in the last weeks of his life. And so we, we have very little about his first 30 years, we have very little about um, you know, his, his home life. And so what we get is this, this, these snapshots. Obviously I think the intent is is that God wanted to give us enough that we would know, but not too much that it would overwhelm us either. But if you read that verse, I just wanna read it one more time. And and there's so much implied in this. Jesus did many other things as well. So he's saying, this is not exhaustive. This is not all that Jesus did while he was here. Not that any of us thought that that was true, but what we're getting are maybe the highlights. Let's just say we're getting the highlights. Let's say it's the top 10 plays on ESPN. No, didn't ring, did it? It didn't sit. But Jesus did so many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, Everything was written down, and there was this attempt to describe the fullness of Jesus and all that he did while he lived here. I suppose that not even the whole world would not have enough room for the books. Not the book, the books, the volumes that would be written. So at Christmas time, we take a picture, right, of who Jesus is. We have this idea. It's the, it's the story of the nativity and we take that picture, and oftentimes that picture is stuck in time, it's frozen there, and we've, we've somehow come to conclusions about who Jesus was and, and, and how he came into this world, and, and who was there, and stories of his parents, and stories of the shepherds, and stories, all those things. And we formulate, we begin to formulate our idea of who God is around that idea. If we are paying attention to the narrative around, and the picture shown, we begin to see that Jesus entered into the world with no privilege. And I don't wanna dwell on Christmas, but I think sometimes we miss the major overtures of what was taking place in the nativity because we've already created in our minds the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And so, What I hope to do is to take you down a little bit of a path here this morning to go, hey, maybe I need to reconsider that. And then when we're done with this, when we're done this morning, I'm gonna ask you to go over to the different stations around the room. If you're new at Journey, we have three or four stations around here, and and we have paper where you can write some things down, and we usually ask for prayer requests, and we are asking for prayer requests. But I'd like you to just write down either one thing that you were reminded of who God is today or secondly, something that shifted for you this year about who God is. Something that shifted. Because if we have a stagnant view of God, a stagnant view like I learned this when I was in Sunday school or I learned this from somebody and I've, learned, and I, I've never moved off of it, I've just stayed with it and it might be incomplete, it might be um, a fragment of who God is, it might be the last Five feet of the trunk of a huge, huge redwood tree that actually has three hundred feet more to it that we 've never considered. I just want to invite you into the beauty of considering that God is much bigger than you thought he was and that he is um, worth revisiting over and over again, so I want to take a couple of pictures of of and I like the word snapshot. For those of you who don't know what a snapshot is, it's like taking your phone and taking a picture with it, um, but, but if we take a picture of Jesus, and I want to start in Mark chapter 10 verses 13 through 16. I'm just going to give you some little stories about Jesus, and I, as I read them, I want, you've heard them before, but I want you to hear it through the lens of, I get to see who God is. I get to see who God is because I'm staring at Jesus. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This God in the flesh, busy about whatever he's busy about. And his disciples are shooing away the unimportant children of the day. And God intervenes. And he says, no, let them come to me. I love this verse because it speaks to the value that God places on the unseen and insignificant it reminds me that even little children matter to God but when we read these verses do what do we hear what do we see when we stare at Jesus when we see God what are we hearing and seeing about God I have to be reminded over and over again That God sees the unseen. And I think that's why reading the Gospels helps us see God. Jesus just saw the invisible ones. He sees you, even when you feel invisible. And we see a high value placed on children. So I think what we begin to see, just with that little story, is the heart of God. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. So God became an observer. Just, ah. For me, that's always kind of a, I always see God as active. I always see God as um, not necessarily contemplative, but we, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. The reason I like this story is because that's probably something I would do is watch the people. Not necessarily put their money in, but just to watch the people in the temple. And so I find myself identifying with Jesus in the story. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth and she, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I read that story I've heard that story since I was little I still see the flannel graph picture of the widow but I never gave a thought a big thought because we we focus on the teaching but what is Jesus doing here as I as I laser in on God He's describing Faith is what he's doing. He's watching faith. He's watching faith happen. Jesus notices what we oftentimes don't. I like that we get to see that God is observant. God is paying attention to the small things. I like that we learn that sacrifice matters to God, even if that sacrifice is small. It also is very clear that God works in a different kind of economy than we do. And so as I stare at Jesus in this moment, it is is to see, again, a little peek into the heart of God, but also the acknowledgement of the faith of people. And we begin to see the beauty of God in this story. Because it goes beyond what we would say is beautiful. And he sees something beautiful in a small sacrifice of a poor widow. And we can. We pull the curtain back a little bit on the heart of God. Do you see fresh? Just a little bit. I just want you to see fresh as we end this year. As you stare at Jesus, do you see something fresh? Because you see the beauty of sacrifice there. Now to Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So the... When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Oftentimes, again, we focus in on this passage of Scripture and we look at the blind man. And we look at the people who rebuke him and tell him to stay away. But what's Jesus do? When we stare at Jesus in this story again, I think the veil gets pulled back a little bit. I be, you begin to see Jesus having mercy again the heart of God is revealed in Jesus mercy the value of an individual a person the value of a blind man the throwaway of society you see the value that God places on the one And then when God summons him, and he stands before God and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He prays. He prays. He says, I want, I want you to heal me. I want my sight. And there's a boldness to that, but there's a need. See, this is the heart of God. It's an invitation, Right? It's an invitation to go into the presence of God. It's an invitation as the one, the one that's unseen. It is to lean into the idea of the mercy of God. It is to step into that moment when Jesus is present, which he always is, and ask for what we need. The invitation is relational. The invitation is all those things. And as we stare at Jesus, we see the heart of God. So, like the last verse when it says, and they, when all the people saw it, for all the people, <laughs> they praised God. They praised Jesus. So, Jesus extends mercy, Jesus extends grace. And so there's this staring at the person of Jesus that allows us to see the exact representation of God, that allows us to see the fullness of who he is. I'm going to take you to another story. It was right after Jesus fed the 5,000 people as he had been teaching them all day with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, and he had done that miraculous thing. And then we get to see into the little bit into the private life of Jesus, which is awesome. Immediately, this is in Matthew chapter 14, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there all alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Okay, can you picture all that? Because that's really good descriptive writing. Jesus was alone. He had sent his disciples ahead. They're out on the lake, and they're, they're doing their thing. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Stare at Jesus now. Stare at Jesus on this moment. You're in the boat. Stare at Jesus. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. (laughs) That makes sense. How often do you see people walking on a lake out to a boat? It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 27 is key. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Those are the most comforting words sometimes ever to hear God speak. Take courage, don't be afraid, it's me. Lord, if it's you, Peter said. I love Peter. Tell me to come out to you on the water. (laughs) Come, he said. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So when you stare at Jesus in that moment, one of the things that fascinates me about that story, and and it's it's in the other Gospels as well as you read this story, is that it was a matter of being pragmatic. Oh, there are already a ways out. I need to get to the other side. It would take me forever to walk around. You ever been to the Sea of Galilee? anybody yeah it would have been a walk the shortest distance was I just walk across the water see and and sometimes you know people think and say things like yeah well he he really wasn't sure he was God he wasn't really sure exactly what he was doing here he didn't and and so he he just thought oh, I'll I'll step out and see if I can walk on water no all of creation all of creation was at his mercy. It's his. He created it. It was, it was nothing for him to step on the water. Nothing. I Just look at Jesus fresh and new and realize the amount of power that holds this world together and allows a human being to do the things that he did, from healing blind men to walking on water. And then the power within him to say to Peter, yeah, come on out here with me. Can you see him? Can you you see Jesus? Because if you can see Jesus in these moments, you can see God. of my pragmatistic nature I'm a pragmatist by heart I just get stuff done and it's part of the deal it's part of the way I'm made in my humanness I could see I could see God saying well the quickest way across is just to walk across the water because it was pragmatic but it also reveals the power of God over his creation And I like the fact that Peter kind of got the hang of it, but didn't really. Because when you realize you're walking on water, yeah, that's a little frightening. But he did know who to ask to save him. He didn't thrash around in the water. It doesn't say that. It just says that he started to sink, and he looked at Jesus and said, save me. Lord, save me. One of the great prayers of all the Bible. God, since you're standing there on the water and I'm sinking, would you mind saving me? And again, we see the heart of God in his mercy. He doesn't tell. He doesn't go into great explanation other than to say, yeah, why did you doubt? But it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Look at Jesus there. Don't look at Peter, look at Jesus there. Immediately, he reached out his hand, and he caught him. Jesus was caught by God in his moment of distress. What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about God? So you you begin to see this masterful, unfolding snapshots of Jesus throughout the Gospels. It's not all-inclusive. We get just snippets and pictures. And oftentimes what happens is is that we could take any one of these stories and create an elaborate um, description of who God is or stick to just a few of them. And we, we get a tainted view of the fullness of God. We don't get the full picture unless we really start to dive into all of the nuances that are here. And you don't have a lifetime enough time to get the nuances of God. We get pictures. We get snapshots. And we live in a world that likes to grab onto one of them. We live in a world that likes to grab onto just one of those particular snapshots and clutch onto it as though it was a promise just for me. When in reality, it's a snapshot, it's a picture of a, a, a section of a giant 300-foot redwood tree where all you get to see is five feet of what is meant to be 300 feet. Because God is far bigger than you imagined, than I imagined. And far more beautiful, and far more deep, and far more wide, and far more undescribably amazing But yet we look at Jesus and we begin to see and we begin to get a snapshot and we begin to see the pieces and we start to go, oh, this is the heart of God. This is this is who God is. This is how he responds to humanity. This is the exact representation of the person of God. But sometimes um, we take stories like Jesus overturning the tables in the temple courts and take that as our, our champion verse that we can be jerks <laughs> and say, Jesus overturned tables. Or we we take those moments when he he is somewhat, it appears, indifferent to the needs of people around him and he goes to a different city, or he does something where we go, I don't get it. I don't understand. And we go, see, he God's indifferent. Or we look at the stories of Jesus and we we sometimes we, we don't understand why he does what he does. And in those moments we look at God and we go, what is going on? And that is the other 300 feet of a redwood tree that we don't fully get to grasp, but we get to marvel at its beauty. But if I stare and you stare, at the stories of Jesus, we begin to see a God who, even when he's being arrested and somebody cuts off the ear of the people that are going to take him to the cross, he takes the moment and he heals the guy's ear. What does that tell you about Jesus? That he doesn't resist the cross. The picture of the cross, the snapshot of the cross, the snapshot of of him gathered around a table with his closest friends, knowing they're going to abandon him, one's going to betray him, and he yet eats with them and he washes their feet. What does that say? Not about a person, but what does that say about God? Because God's the one who did that. And every time I think about God washing the feet of these guys, (laughs) there you you begin to recognize the heart and the beauty of god and i just want to invite you into that this year i want to invite you into being able to see bigger and wider than what we have you know we jesus was raised from the dead and he stands in a garden the, the most miraculous thing that ever happened and he presents himself a woman and in that culture that would have been scandalous but yet at the same time what we begin to see is the elevation of women and the elevation of those that are unseen and the elevation of people that in a culture would normally not have done any of those things yet God does that don't miss it here's the part where I wanna invite you into this idea a little bit more tangibly. It's a big idea to say, wow, I I can stare at the Bible, I can read about Jesus, and I can see God. But the other part of this that oftentimes that we miss is that when God left he sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was to reside in his people and the people that whom he resides in make up the church and the church was the description of Jesus's body he said you will be my body you will be my people my spirit will reside in you and people will know you because of the way that I present myself through you and in the in Galatians chapter 5 there's this description it's called the Fruit of the Spirit. I didn't put it up there because I want you to close your eyes at this moment. And I don't want you reading the screen. I just want you to listen to this for a minute. So we bring this to a close, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And I want to ask you to, to just realize that what we begin to see when we stare at Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit. What we begin to see is that. God is the description of what happens when his people represent him. And there's a list there is called love. They love one another, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's goodness, there's faithfulness, there's gentleness, there's self-control. These are the evidence of the Spirit. These are what come from God. These are the character of God. These are the character of the Holy Spirit, and as, it, as those things are displayed among his people, people see God. They don't see just more people. They see God. And so here's my question. As you, as you go into this last week of 2021, as you're starting to head into a new year and all those things, I, I just want to ask you. Where do you see the beauty of God in other people? Are you looking for the evidence of God at work in others? Do you look for mercy? Do you look for kindness? Do you look for patience? Do you look for those things that are overflowing from people who love Jesus? Now there are good days and there are bad days. I get that. But can you can you move into this space that allows you to wrestle with the idea that God is bigger than you thought, that He's more beautiful than you thought, that you have an opportunity to reread the Gospels over and over again and catch a glimpse of the exact representation of God on this planet in the person of Jesus. And in those moments, can you shift? Can you move, can you, can you let go of things that you thought were true before and embrace new things? Can you move to a place that allows you to, to imagine and be curious about the greatness and the beauty of our God and not just use words but imagine that? can you move there with me because I think the opportunity before us before the church before us as followers of Christ is to look beyond again and again all the crap in this world and start looking for the beauty of God and so I'm just asking as you Think about that and you meditate on that, and you just think about possibly some of the few things we talked about about Jesus. Just scratch the surface for about 20 minutes. Can you go to one of the stations and just write down, This is how I've seen the beauty of God this year? This is how I see it in people. This is how I experience the beauty of God and allow that to be your prayer. Because we worship a God of mercy. We worship a God who saves us. We worship a God who's so bigger than our current circumstances that we cannot even imagine. And he invites us into this personal, intimate relationship where he sees our sacrifice, he sees our hearts, he sees all that we are, and he embraces us and loves us Even when we will abandon him and betray him, he washes our feet. Because we are his crown jewel of creation that he died for. Let me pray over you and bless you as we come to the music. Lord, thank you for these few minutes that we could have just to be reminded of your greatness and your fastness and your beauty and all that you are and that you invite us into, into relationship, where we get to experience that beauty and mercy and kindness and presence, your very presence with us. And we are reminded in this season of the incarnation that you took on flesh and you dwelt among us so that we could see the exact representation of the Father, of God. And we can rejoice knowing that we participate in the kingdom of God, in all our brokenness, in all our frailness, in all of our issues, and yet you make something beautiful out of that because we're your people. And we offer that today. May we focus on the goodness and the greatness and the beauty of you. Amen.